You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since again oh two weeks in a row man back to the old schedule what's going on lightning does strike twice yes <laughs> i probably just jinxed doesn't want to knock on some uh, wood right here hopefully that doesn't happen <laughs> we never know we are uh walking on thin ice when it comes to recording the show sometimes and uh i think it's funny sometimes we'll uh, text each other or message each other and be like you good you good you good and i always feel like maybe somewhere behind us there's there's two sleepy men going I kind of hope he isn't good this morning. I kind of hope he. Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't hit start in the coffee till I heard because I'm about to drink a nest until this. Yeah, but I know this guy's good to go, man. Because otherwise, I'm crawling back in the warm bed. That's right. We did it on the edge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. This week we have another uh, sponsored show. Yeah, this is Vinegar Syndrome. We haven't been with those guys in a while. We, we've had some material over theirs. And uh, we haven't been able to get to it. Uh, we've been backlogged with some other stuff and things. But we got a couple of DVD releases here from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, Flesh and Bullets from uh, 1985, I believe. Sounds fine. Yeah, sounds right, I mean. Yeah, directed by one Carlos Toblina. And uh, sometimes Aunt Martha does dreadful things from 71. Uh, and I can't remember who that's directed by off the top of my head, but we'll get to that later. But these are uh, two... Uh, well, two films I'd never seen, and I don't I'd think never you, seen or never heard of. Yeah, so we'll get into those in a little bit. Um, before we do that, let's get into what we've been watching. You want me to go first? Sounds like you might be eating something. I don't. I would. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a whole lot though, but I'll just uh, I'll at least kill you, kill some time, I'll kill you. Some get a time. few spoons in <laughs> there, buddy. Yeah, I watched. Uh, uh, did I talk about Dark Places, the Charlize Theron film? Nope. Okay. Uh, Dark Places, uh, it's a Charlize Theron starring vehicle, looks like it just kind of went straight to video, kind of disappeared. Um, you know, she's a really good actress, uh, I know we both like her, she, I feel like she's not going to do most stuff unless it's pretty quality, this, this isn't bad, it's, it, um, it's kind of a detective, 
uh, or kind of like a, um, a murder mystery type thing. It's pretty good. She's uh, out of character a little bit, you know, doing one of her uh, things where she tries to not be pretty. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Not not too hard, not like in Monster, but, um, you know, she tries to be kind of a run-of-the-mill type a little bit more, a regular regular Joe, so to speak. And uh, it's okay. It's a, it's a good time waster. It's not bad. Um, uh, I, somebody, I can't remember who it was, and forgive me, uh, they, they listened to the show, and I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but they said, Hey man, check out dark places. Uh, I kind of dug it. It kind of was a surprise and it was on Amazon prime. So I checked it out. Uh, it was decent. Um, this, you know, not great, but it was, it was pretty good. Uh, Jim, the James Foley story. This is a documentary about the, uh, the gentleman, the, the, I think he was the first gentleman. This is going to sound crass to say, but I mean, this is probably the best way for you guys to know who James Foley is. Uh, he was the first gentleman, I believe that was beheaded by the ISIS movement on video over in the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, well, I mean, this is a grim documentary. Uh, it doesn't really... I mean, obviously, it doesn't, uh, doesn't... It doesn't address... Well, it does address that situation I'm talking about, but it doesn't show anything. So for those of you who are worried about that, uh, you don't have to worry about that. Um, but it's... I find these... I think I've said this before. I've watched a few of these documentaries on these guys that shoot war, uh, these war correspondent guys, especially these independent guys. I find these guys fascinating because, uh, you know, they leave the comfort. A lot of these guys tend to be well-to-do white Americana. And I find it kind of fascinating that they give up all that for, uh, you know, trying to figure out why the world's the way it is. And getting over there and shooting the stuff. And most of them, at least it seems to me, uh, the ones I've seen in documentaries, you know, they're not doing it for the glory. They're doing it because they're fascinated by human nature and, you know, they they want to do their part as much as they can. Uh, they don't fight, obviously. They're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're kind of, I guess, reserved from that. But they're documenting, you know, these important human events uh, or brutal human events, whatever way you want to look at it. I mean... History is history, and a lot of history is brutal and violent. Um, I just find these people fascinating because I, I just I would not do this, and uh, I, I don't know if I I don't know if I consider it bravery or no nobility or stupidity, um, but I find all three of those things fascinating. So these people fascinate me. So I, I hope that makes sense to everybody. Um, no, it absolutely does. I'm I'm with you completely. I. I would never do it, but a little bit of bravery, a little bit of nobility, a little bit of insanity, I think a combination of all three. Mm-hmm, yeah. Insanity is another good word. Um, just a lot of things. I mean, and these guys, you know, they get, I mean, they go some, through some bad stuff. So, and uh, Jim, uh, James Foley, uh, everybody calls him Jim in the uh, documentary, so you end up calling him Jim in your head a lot. Uh, he goes through some pretty brutal stuff even before he, unfortunately, you know, meets his end. So, uh, I'm not giving anything away there. Uh, it's a, just a document of of that uh, whole situation. So it's worth a watch, though. Um, it's a from it's a release from this year. Uh, you will find that uh, most of the things I watched this week were breaks from cram because Will and I have reached uh, well, we're reaching our limits. And uh, <laughs> and uh, this week I was really super busy anyway, and uh, watched a ton of River Monsters because I just couldn't. <laughs> couldn't i just couldn't i could not watch a movie to save my life i just wanted to watch a british man catch ugly fish uh yes 
<laughs> and talk about them and always say, I've come too far to give up now. You know, <laughs> I check these waters. Uh, anyway, uh, watched uh, Walk Among the Tombstones. I watched this. It's a good one. I was yeah. surprised how much I liked this. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I had some issues with, I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess it's okay, but I didn't really care for the, uh, the kind of father figure stuff that much with the, uh, the young kid who wanted to be Dante, oh, yeah, Dante yeah. Culpepper, uh, uh, agency or whatever. I mean, I just felt like it was out of place because the movie was pretty grim otherwise. Oh, uh, man. There was some surprisingly <laughs> awful stuff in it. Yeah. And it felt like it was like, hey, let's lighten this up a little bit. Let's put this, uh, kind of father figure stuff with Liam Neeson and this young African American actor in here. And it was fine. It just, it felt out of place to me because I felt like the movie is ultimately a pretty grim, uh, look at, uh, well, some dark stuff. So, but I, but I did enjoy it. Uh, Liam Neeson's really good in these type of movies. Uh, there's, there, you know, he, he kind of created this, he kind of did the Charles Bronson thing and he's kind of created this whole new world for these, uh, middle aged uh, actors. I know Kevin Costner's got like one of these kind of movies coming out and some other, uh, middle aged actors are trying to kind of get into this. Uh, you know, Mel Gibson, I think try to do a little bit of something like that would get the gringo, but unfortunately he may have, you know, in real life may have, uh, <laughs> Shot his career in the uh, in the ass. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it was an entertaining film, but it was just one of those things. Yeah, where... it kind of, that kind of came out right around the time he was. Uh, <laughs> well, right around the time of another one of his meltdowns. So uh, anyway, yeah. uh, but it's good. I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, it's certainly much better than two of the. Well, I would not. If I was going to tell somebody to watch the Taken movies, I'd tell them to watch the first one. I would not tell them to watch the second one, and I won't even bother with the third one because the second one was so bad. I've never seen any of them. Yeah, the first one's good. Um, it's not great. But I would put this right there with it, although I think I liked okay. I liked aspects of this one uh, more because some of the <clears throat> secondary characters are more interesting in Walk Among the Tombstones. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Taken's very much a A to B you know, action movie revenge film i mean it's very much uh from paris with love or you know it's very much a very simple luke besson uh, produced action movie so and the only other thing i watched outside of them films for the show which i actually watched two weeks ago but i watched uh despite the gods this is the jennifer lynch uh documentary on her uh going to india to direct a film uh, about a woman who turns into a snake which me and james uh mccormick uh reviewed on the show quite some time ago um, called Hiss, and uh, I think it was called Hiss. I hope it was. Um, which it was an Indian uh film, uh Bollywood production. It was, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I remember that. I I can't, I can't remember what I reviewed it as, but I remember liking some of it. Of course, she didn't get final cut on it. She ended up kind of getting kicked off the thing. But this is a really really interesting and and great documentary on the making of movies and. For all the bad movies that are made, I always wish, or not bad movies, but average movies sometimes, not even just masterpieces. I mean, Heart of Darkness is great because it's, you know, a documentary on one of the great films, you know, Apocalypse Now. But I sometimes enjoy these documentaries on the films that, you know, would not be considered Apocalypse Now uh, because, you know, Jennifer Lynch puts her heart into this. She puts everything into this. And at the time, she's raising a, a 12, 13-year-old daughter by herself. She's in India for eight months. Uh, she doesn't speak the language. She's trying to communicate. She doesn't know the culture. She's trying to learn it. Uh, she's 40 years old. Um, she's trying to 
quit alcohol and other things and um she goes back to smoking during the documentary uh, because she just can't you know she's just so stressed out uh i love her anyway i, I think i've said before uh, i have a soft spot for her in more ways than one i <laughs> uh, don't know what that is maybe some kind of fascination with either her or maybe with her dad because she looks like her dad in a lot of ways but uh, I think she's really super talented uh, filmmaker, and uh, she kind of got shit on right from the beginning of her career uh, because, you know, she was David Lynch's daughter, and she made a film that most people consider misogynistic, but I think that's stupid. I mean, it's uh, Boxing Helene is not misogynistic. You don't get it if you think it's misogynistic. So, uh, But then she uh, – I think I think she made Boxing Helene, and I think that she didn't make Surveillance till 15 years later. So she made one film, kind of got shit on, and then 15 later she came back with Surveillance. <coughs> And then it hiss, and now she's done a few other things. She did a film about two or three years ago called Chained with Vincent D'Onofrio that I really liked. And mm-hmm. I would like to review on the show at some point in time. So really good kind of serial killer type movie. And, um, yeah, she's just super talented, man. I, you know, she's still young. She's, uh, you know, 47. I mean, that's, I mean, I'll say that. I'm 42, so she's still young. And I hope she's got uh, more films in her. I do. I see she's got some stuff with, uh, she really likes working with Vincent D'Onofrio, and he likes working with her. So it looks like she's got some more stuff with him coming. And that's a match made in heaven because he's a good actor who doesn't get to work enough outside of certain roles. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping she, she's done a lot of TV lately. But, you know, yeah, you got to work where you got to work, right? So working is working. And, um, yeah, I hope she gets to make more films because I think she's uh, very talented. This is really good, though. I mean, <sighs> when you get a chance, if you just want to watch a documentary on uh, – anybody wants to watch a documentary on the making of a movie and how difficult it can be, how many different uh, cooks are in the kitchen, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Plus, it's an interesting look at the uh, the Bollywood film making industry, and just how insane that can be. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, it it was awesome. It was really good. So that's all I watched. A lot of river, nice. mo- like I say, a lot of river monsters. Have you seen Salt of the Earth yet? No, I haven't. You really should try to cram that. You like I said, really should try to Jeremy, cram that. Jeremy Wade was catching red tail catfish, and it got to be it got to be too enticing for me. <laughs> No doubt. I used to own a red-tailed catfish. I don't know if I ever told you that. I used to own one. I used to. I used to, I used to date a red-tailed catfish. Yeah, I used to be a real uh, aquatic enthusiast. I used to have tons of fish tanks, and uh, I had a red-tailed catfish. He weighed about forty pounds, and this fucking fish would forty eat, pounds. Yeah, he would eat anything I would put in that fish tank. He was in the tank by himself. He would eat anything I put in there. You name it, and that fucking guy would eat it. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, so I would go in there to clean the tank sometimes, and uh, that was an adventure. Because uh, let me tell you, when uh, Jeremy Wade says they got a pretty strong bite, he ain't fucking kidding, man. They get a hold of you, and they got these like sandpaper like teeth. They don't cut you or anything, but man, they got like a vice like grip, man. And it's uh, yeah, you can imagine these uh, images of your head of uh, a twenty something year old Sammy wrestling with a fish. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Going, you son of a bitch. His name was Caesar. Yeah. His name was Caesar, by the way. So you, you pull your hand out, he's stuck, you're flopping your hand around, the yeah. fish won't let go. And it's not like a dog. You know, a dog you feel like you can talk to and you feel like you communicate with a dog a little bit, you know, because they look at mm-hmm. you and they kind of, you know, you, you get some kind of receptance. You feel, you know, some kind of receiving of information you feel like. Mm-hmm. With a fish, you just talk to this fish and they just have these dead eyes. They're like, you know, motherfucker, put your hand back in here. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So. I love that fish, though. It's very bizarre. Fish loved you. Yeah. I know. He did love me. He did. He loved me too much. <laughs> Another Sammy story there for everybody. Now everybody will be posting pictures of <clears throat> red-tailed catfish. 
Maybe that's why you love Bronson so much. You feel this affinity for catfish. Well, I just, I mean, well, I mean, of course, me and you've talked any about any old catfish. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about fishing before. I used to fish when I was younger, mm-hmm. and uh, I just, I, you know, I, I just find the the animals of the the rivers uh, the, when the when river monsters came along, I just found like that was the perfect show because I always found it fascinating that there's so many fish that people don't even talk about or know about. So. Oh, man, yeah. There's tons. Do you ever see the episode he did where he went to Japan to debunk the myth of this, like, mystic fish? And Oh, yeah, I'm sure I did, yeah. I've, I've watched every episode. I'm a, I'm up to season six, which has got a oh, few wow. episodes I haven't watched. Um, but, yeah, he did a Loch Ness episode, which I thought was going to be kind of hokey, but he hardly spent any time at Loch Ness. He spent most of his time uh, trying to catch a Greenland shark which i didn't even know anything about these sharks these sharks are the second biggest shark in the ocean behind the great white and they are dark like kind of black kind of charcoalish with like sandpaper skin and they swim at the very bottom of the very cold water up in uh, iceland area fascinating fascinating uh shark uh he gets in the water with the damn thing he's he's a brave bastard i tell you anyway uh, holy cow man No. Anyway, Green, they're called Greenland sharks. Yeah, Greenland sharks, I believe, is what they're called. Yeah, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty positive that's it. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, again, no, you're right. Not, not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, I was joking around with some of you guys on Facebook that man, <laughs> you watch enough Jeremy Wade, and the next thing you know, you're, you know, you're wanting to. Uh, me, I'm, I'm starting to want to walk around uh, Amazon uh, villages with a gray shirt and some uh, cargo pants and uh, my little notebook. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> But anyway, I'll go, I'll go ahead and defer to you to what we've been watching. Okay. Did I talk about... Let me see. Here. Let's talk about... Mm, mm, mm. That's right. Let's talk about red catfish. <laughs> yeah. oh, that, could, that, that story, that could go really gross. We could really get gross with that, but we, we will not. Um. I talked about cartel, and did I talk about glass chin on the show? Uh, yes, you did. Yes. Did I talk about <laughs> we, uh, measure of a man on the show? Uh, it seemed like you did. Yeah, I think it was a French film. Yep. Yes, you did. did I t- okay, I didn't talk about Animalisa, right? No, you did. You said you uh, didn't uh, didn't love it. Okay. Correct. Am I right? Um, said you liked it, didn't love it. Are you there? Yeah, well, I mean, you could be hashtagging yeah, me. Fair. You could be hashtagging me. Yeah, that that rope a dope. <laughs> yeah, you could be rope. Yeah, no, I could. Uh, yeah, okay. So then I talked about the Martian, right? Yes, you told me you didn't like it, and told everybody else you didn't really care for it. Told the world I didn't like it. Um, did I talk about? I almost bought the Martian this week uh, yesterday because it was ten dollars somewhere I was at, and I was like. It's one of those impulse buys. I'm like, I probably won't even like this. Why am I even looking at it? Yeah, I would only take it, it was 10 if bucks. it was free and there were <laughs> lots of special features. Because then maybe I could watch well, that, some of this. That's the thing. See, I was looking at Usually Ridley Scott uh, releases have like a two or three hour documentary on the making of the film. So mm-hmm. I, I, I turned it over and it's like, man, if there's a two or three hour documentary on the making of this film for 10 bucks, I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's like, like the, the Halloween, Rob Zombie Halloween stuff, right? Yeah, there, there wasn't though. So <clears throat> no dice. Um, oh, I think maybe I left off. I talked about Kamiko. Yes. 
Okay, I didn't talk about Gangnam Blues, right? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe Gangnam know. Blues is this for me was kind of the the great white hope of uh, South Korean kind of gangster films this year. Unless I'm not looking under the right rocks, um, I'll be forthright and saying I didn't really care for it. Uh, it was okay, but, but uneven. Um, for you know, as far as I think, a New World and Nameless Gangster are the two kind of gold standards of the more recent ones for me. This one can't hold a candle to those. It's there's too much silly Korean melodrama uh, and kind of wacky bro comedy <laughs> for me. It just it was okay. Um, I watched Heaven Knows What, which uh, has. Probably the most intense opening to a film I've seen in recent memory. Huh. It's the true story. Uh, it's a hard watch. It's a true story of um, a heroin addicted young couple living kind of on the streets, hand to mouth. Um, and the actress that plays the lead, it's based on her memoirs, and she was, uh, or she is, I guess, a recovering heroin addict. So um, it's, it's very good. Uh, it's very tough to watch, though. Mm. especially as I transition from relating to the young people in films to kind of looking at it from a parent perspective. Like even yeah. though these kids yeah. are, they're not young enough to be my kids, but uh, well, I guess if I had kids super young, but, um, but I'm starting to be more like parental about things. And there's even times and you and I have talked about it's not to be crass, but you know, I'll see a, a porn clip or something, and I'll think, oh, my God. Like, Not that I'm a Puritan. Don't get me wrong. I'm a pig. But <laughs> the other time, I'll think, oh, my gosh, that's someone's daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just the way it goes. But yeah. um, Having a daughter now, you have those thoughts, too. You know? You're like, oh, yeah. God. Ew. Yeah. yeah. Man, no doubt, man. But uh, heaven knows what's very good. Very good. Tough watch. Uh, next up was one that I had just been desperate to see since I heard about it at Cannes. I think I won the Palm d'Or. Uh, it was Deepan uh, about a. I don't think they outright call him this, but I think he's a Tamil tiger who, or he's a, he's a freedom fighter of sorts from Sri Lanka, who flees Sri Lanka uh, and ends up in France with a cobbled together family under fake passports, a daughter and a, a quote unquote wife, and it's about them transitioning to French society and trying to. You know, balance all the plates, be a, be a family despite not really knowing each other. Um, it's very good. It's very good. My mom really dug it, actually. She watched it with me. Um, yeah, it was good stuff. Uh, next up, the family, I think Teresa wanted, maybe Teresa and the boys wanted to watch Tron Legacy. And it was on instant. And I hadn't seen it since theaters. And Teresa hadn't seen it. So we said, let's throw it on. It's good. Uh, I don't like it as much as you do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the kind of film that even if the film is, and it's not mediocre, but even if it was mediocre, it, visually it still gives you enough to really yeah. chew on. Um, it really feels like, you know, Daft Punk had a hand in the visuals as well as the sound of that film. Uh, it feels very much like uh, <clears throat> THX and some of these other 70s sci-fi films in some ways. Um, in terms of its aesthetic, What Happened, Miss Simone was next. This is one I've been meaning to see for some time about uh, Nina Simone, documentary on Netflix, a Netflix original. And yeah. it was good. Yeah. 
Um, you know, kind of a sad story. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on in there. She was uh, rise to fame at a time when it wasn't easy to rise to fame as an African American, um, and especially as an African American woman. So, uh, and then next up was another South Korean film, Coin Locker Girl. Uh, this was. It's funny because this and Assassin kind of share in some ways similar plots in some ways, but South Korea, South Korea girl, Coin Locker Girl is about a girl who was given up by her mother in like a, I think like a bus station or train station. She gets picked up by this Chinese woman who is living in Korea to basically, she uses kids that, it's kind of depressing really, um, these kids that are without papers, papers, basically <laughs> to, uh, to do all sorts of shit. Yeah. Right. It's the sweatshop shit, and then she turns this girl into an assassin. I should and say, uh, I watched an episode of River Monsters where uh, Jeremy uh, Wade, I almost called him Jeremy Clarkson, Jeremy Wade ended up uh, in Chernobyl, Chernobyl fishing, and uh, he had to make sure his papers were in order. Oh, he sure did. <laughs> he sure did, in that neck of the woods. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of laughing, yeah. laughing to myself. Uh so this was good. It was grim. I liked it. I don't think it's top 30 material for me. Um, it's well done. As always, I think, with a lot of the, the contemporary Korean films, it's about it's about two hours and ten minutes. Like, shave 30 minutes off your film, but it's nasty in spots. I think South Koreans do violence and stylish violence better than anyone in the world today. Yeah. Um, next up was the two films that we covered on the show, which we'll talk about. Uh, then we watched Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which I think is the fifth film in the series. Watched it as a family. And uh, this was good, you know, continuing that trend, quality film. Um, the kids seem to tune out of this one more than the other ones because I think it takes a while to get going. But the finale is pretty intense in this, so yeah. it roped them back in. Because um, I think you read the books, right? Yes, I did. It's been some time ago, but uh, yeah, I did. I remember. Is, I remember that uh, things start to get pretty deep at that point. Yeah, they do. And this is the one where this this woman from the ministry comes in and starts like putting in all these rules and regulations, and yeah, yeah. Harry's getting accused of some shit, and you know that's how it goes. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, next up was the assassin, and this is really it's funny. This one uh, in sort of quote-unquote professional circles, uh, professional critic circles, gets a lot of love. Um, but in sort of our circles, it's kind of gotten mixed reviews. And it's a film that's betwixt in between. It's got a art house, Wuxia, which um, works just fine for me. But uh, for some, it's because it's neither here nor there. Enough for others, it doesn't quite work. Yeah. Um, you know, but it was fine. I had no problem with it, I guess, all in all. Um, who, I can't remember his name. Who, how, Sien? I can't think. I can't. I never, I never say his name out loud. Sien, I think his, his name is. Triple H, thereby of the, uh, I think all three of his names start with an H. Anyway, uh, he, his films kind of mixed bag for me. Um, they're not quality. They just don't always move me. Um, next up was a date night with the missus and, uh, we watched spotlight much to her reluctance. Um, she didn't really want to see it. And I said, oh, okay, yeah. I, I can imagine. Yeah. And you know, I should, should clarify not because she's blindly loyal, um, to 
the church or the faith because if she was, I wouldn't have never, I would have never married her. Yeah, she just really doesn't. <clears throat> she just can't stand Michael Keaton. Yeah, she fucking hates <laughs> Michael Keaton. <clears throat> no, but she, uh, it's just one of those things where she almost, she just the unbearable. Yeah, yeah, it's just you know, awfulness it's, of yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah. Understood. You know, understood. This is a good film. Uh, again, with all due respect to the film, um, I don't know if it'll make my top 30, but it's a quality film from Hollywood. Uh, great cast. Keaton, Ruffalo, Schreiber. Mm-hmm. The supporting turns are great. Rachel McAdams acquits herself just fine. Uh, and about, it's about an you know, unbelievably terrible thing. It'll make you very angry. It'll make you angry beyond... Yeah, yeah, beyond angry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward. Uh, I'm looking well, as weird as that. No, 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 say, I'm looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> well, no, it, it's quality Hollywood filmmaking. Yeah. Quality grown up Hollywood filmmaking. Absolutely, yeah. and it's nice to see you know Schreiber who doesn't use and he's a little bit pushed to the back in this. Uh, but Ruffalo is one of my favorites. Schreiber is one of my favorites. Anytime Keaton works, it's great. And yeah, Schreiber doesn't uh, turn into the bad guy later in this one, does he? <laughs> no, thankfully. Thankfully not. Starts out as the charming rogue, and then he eventually is like, you asshole. Yeah, that, that arc always seems to follow him wherever it goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next up was Jafar Panahi's Taxi, which I think you would really love. Um, for those that don't know, he's one of the one of the most interesting, for my money, and really human artists to come out of the Middle East. You know, Iranian man who uh, his last film, this was not a movie. Uh, he had to shoot when he was under house arrest on his cell phone, <laughs> kind of a documentary. Um, he's he's really interesting, and yeah, from what I understand, he shot a lot of this one uh, indoors as well. Well, indoor, if by indoors you mean a cab, yeah. inside a cab. Yeah. He masks himself as like a, a cab driver in, in Tehran. Yeah. And it's kind of like Taxi Cab Confessions without kind of the tacky 90s Las Vegas of it. Um, it's really good. I think you would really enjoy it. Uh, I love Panahi, like I said. Um, and I almost feel like this would be a great film if any if you have family that and I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying this to sort of politicize anything, but any of you have family that have been kind of lured into the, the demonization of, of the Middle East, um, it just kind of shows you that, guess what? Normal people, just like us. Same struggles, same nonsense. So it's a nice little piece, and it's, he does it with, with a light touch, um, without ever feeling slight. Uh, he, he's just he's one of these guys he's a really warm interesting human being and I, I like all the work he does that I've seen yeah, so yeah. Um, stayed in the Middle East with the most European quote unquote of Middle Eastern countries with uh, Mustangs which the, I guess the quick sell of this would be um, the Turkish version of virgin suicides without the suicides wow that's a interesting way to say it yeah I don't want to spoil anything, but it's it's yeah. about five of uh, five sisters. I think they're adopted, um, who are you know their their fam- their their uncle. It was the uncle and the grandmother who kind of take care of them, and the uncle's a motherfucker, and uh, he tries to really control them and, and keep them penned in. Um, it's a very good film, very good film. Um, next up was one that. 
was probably my most anticipated film of the year. Probably. Uh, I tried to get it in before year end last year. Didn't get a chance to. Finally saw saw Xavier Dolan's Mommy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Watched it with my mom. Um, <laughs> continuing the trend of kind of awkward moments on film with my mom this year. <laughs> I, you know, the son grabbed his mother's breast at one point. Um, it's a really good film, though. Uh, it's... Dolan is is easily our brightest young talent. I think he's 26. He's made six or seven films. All of them have been um, good to very good to great. So it's an intense film. He shoots it in an an interesting one-to-one aspect ratio, which really makes you feel the claustrophobia of the film. And, you know, uh, it's a good film, though. It's a good film for sure. Um Next up was the OG Jurassic Park. I decided I, I wanted to watch these with the kids. Uh, get mm-hmm. the Blu-rays on the cheap. Um, I, saw the, I saw them all in theaters. Uh, I think I've even said on the air. The last time I saw a Jurassic Park film from the original batch was on Mushrooms in a Cinesphere. I think it was the third one. <laughs> um, so that kind of melted my mind. But I decided to watch the first one again with the kids. And I got to say, <clears throat> as a parent now, or not as a parent now, as a, per, as a film viewer now, I really admired the first one. I think it's a really well-made piece of Hollywood film. And when I was watching it, I thought to myself, man, this really feels like a Spielberg film. So I said to William, my seven-year-old, I said, hey, what does this remind you of the way it's kind of moving along and everything else? And he said, oh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. So I'm kind of proud of him the way he's he's able to kind of – there's times where he's connected the dots on things uh, with filmmakers and, and things that – at, at at his age, I, I certainly wasn't able to do. So, nice. and even my younger one, Bob Braden, same thing. So, I'm glad to see that. Uh, but this holds up well, man. My heart was pounding with that T Rex scene, man. Yeah, that's a good scene. Uh, and oh my god, and the effects hold up pretty well, considering they're like you're dealing with in some cases 23 uh, year old CGI. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know, that and T two are the ones that from my money, seem to stand out as holding up well. Can you think of any others that really hold up well? I know on the opposite end of things, the lawnmower man doesn't hold up quite as well. But No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I was thinking, I haven't, you know, I was going to revisit Starship Troopers the other day, and I was, oh, wondering, nice. I was wondering if that held to hold up. But uh, some people have said it does. Some people, I mean, I don't watch a whole lot of CG films. I mean, I guess I do. Mm-hmm. I guess we all do in some ways, and we don't even realize it maybe. But um, it's not really, you know, my bag. It's not like what I go looking for, so I don't know. But I think, you know, Jurassic Park, I think obviously the smart thing about Jurassic Park was is that at the time, you know, that CG stuff was relatively new and they kind of, you know, like some of that T-Rex stuff is CG and then some of it's actual practical, yeah, practical stuff, or Stan Winston stuff, so it looks really good. And, it is Winston, yeah. Yeah, if, it, if you mix them, they always look kind of really nice because uh, it gives some kind of tangibility at moments where then the CG looks a little dodgy. If I can remember anything about Jurassic Park, I can remember sometimes the tails. I've seen it a few times, and I remember sometimes the tails of the dinosaur look a little dodgy, but everything else looks mm. really good. Yeah, the stuff that needs to look good looks good, and it's funny. Um, great but, cast in that one, too. You know, the, fir- the first time I saw that Brachiosaurus in the beginning when I was in movie theaters? Yeah. I guess I was, ooh, how old was I? Maybe 20, maybe? Maybe, yeah, I think I was 20 years old. 93? Yeah, now I, was, I was 20, 20, 21. First time yeah. I saw that, I was like, mind blown. I cannot believe that oh, this yeah. is on the screen. And then I revisited it like, you know, 20 years later, and I'm like, 
I knew this would happen. It, my mind's not as blown, but you know, but you got to remember, you know, you, you got to go back to that, right? I mean, it's like you know, maybe somebody's yeah. first time they see two thousand one, right? Like my dad used to always be like, Star Wars, pff, see two thousand one, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, come on, come on, what's wrong with you? You don't know what you're talking about. That's right, man. <laughs> no, you're right, but. Jurassic Park. Ooh, I almost dropped the mic. In the way, not from an intentional standpoint. Um, I was either dropping the mic or dropped the coffee. So the mic's getting dropped every yeah, time. There. Yeah, every time. Yeah. Even though I'm wearing a brown T-shirt, I don't want a wet T-shirt Ooh. in the contest or a hot one. Um, yeah, no, definitely. But I was, what was I going to say about Jurassic Park? Yeah, it, it does really hold up well. You know, good cast. But another observation, and then I'll get off of it. William asked me, "How come?" Because I'd said, oh, I like this guy, Jeff Goldblum, and he said, I love Sam Neill. He's one of Daddy's favorites. He usually plays a lunatic and a crazy man in films. And, you know, just kind of breaking it down for him. And I saw Laura Dern in it, and I thought of Kelly Baird. And, um, but he asked me when he saw the Jeff Goldblum character, he goes, Dad, he goes, how come this guy always wants to show off his abs? Because <laughs> Goldblum, even when he's, like, yeah. propped up and, like, because his legs hurt or whatever, he's got his shirt open the whole time. Yeah. yeah. And I go, well, show Dad. What's he doing? And then, like... My son kind of laid on the couch in like the Burt Reynolds Playgirl pose with like his chest puffed out. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. man, you're smart beyond your years. This dude's yeah. all about showing off his chest right now. So, <laughs> yeah, so that was good. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see other ones. My dad suggested maybe doing the Lord of the Rings films next. They might be a little intense. We'll have to see. Um, but it's been fun to get into some of the you know, the big series with my kids for yeah, sure. Nice. Um, Tale of Tales was next, and you and I spoke about this. <laughs> On the phone, Matteo Grohn's uh, uh, English language debut, and I don't know how this film got made. John C. Riley looks like the Burger King. Selma Hayek eats a sea monster's heart with her bare hands. Uh, it's a fantasy film for adults. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's it's it's, it's good though. Um, next up was Chirac. One of the group members was kind enough to get a digital download. So. You know, I owe it to myself to check out some new Spike when uh, whenever it comes out. I heard some good things about this one, so decided to check it out. Yeah, it's uh, it's a solid entry. It's it, he doesn't poop the bed with this one. Um, you know, as he's gone on, his his output can become more of a mixed bag. But I'd said to a few people uh, on Facebook, I feel like shooting outside of New York seems to have invigorated him a bit, and uh, yeah, it, it works well. Uh, and then finally, Belgian film that Josh Hurtado had uh, repped for, The Brand New Testament. It's about the God is sort of a petty, selfish man living in an, in an apartment in Brussels with his wife and young daughter hmm. because their son is obviously dead. Um, and the daughter uh, starts to... She's going to write the brand new testament with seven apostles, and but it's very much like a like kind of a, a street level comedy in some ways. Like yeah. not to, and I don't want to paint this with a bad brush, but the, you know the way Dogma tries to look at deconstructing religion in some ways, yeah, and kind of looking at it and uh, trying to provide some insight into how, it, it's not like slamming it per se. It's not like a scathing commentary, but it's also not afraid to. It doesn't pull its punch either. It was. It's good. It's, it's quite good. So uh, that's it, man. All right. 
All right, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back, and uh, I guess we'll. What do you want to do? You want to do these in? What do you want to do? We got we got an hour, so we got to. Let's do flesh. All right, we'll do flesh first. We'll go backwards this time. We'll go eighty-five to seventy-one. Moonwalk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back right after this. <laughs> Okay, so our first film of the day, uh, of the evening, of the night, of the morning, whenever you're listening to this, uh, is Flesh and Bullets, 1985, also known as, uh, what was the alternate title? The uh, Wife Contract? Yeah. Yeah, that wife contract. <laughs> yeah. So this is essentially a low-budget remake or homage to Strangers on a Train, directed by an adult filmmaker. Uh, and starring people that uh, I really don't think anybody in here outside of Yvonne. Well, I mean, there's people in here. Zadar. But, but don't let it fool you. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's a debut. Yeah, it's not a. Uh, it's not a lot of. Uh, there's some big names in here. Uh, well, for us, Robert Zadar. You got Cornell Wilde. You got Cesar Romero. Aldo Ray's in here. Yvonne DiCarlo. A lot of those people are just in here barely. For literally, this the, the thing of blink and you'll miss it. Yes. Um, but uh, they they sell that uh, in, in great low budget exploitation style. They sell that as a film star in these people. <laughs> uh, yes. This uh, but this is interesting. Uh, I'll give the plot synopsis and we'll get into it here. Nineteen eighty five, like I said, Carlos Tobolina. Uh, two men that that <laughs> I'm going to read this as is written on IMDb. Okay, because this was kind of made fun of when I posted it, <laughs> and so I'm I'm reading it as is. Two men that meets in a bar in Las Vegas discovers that they have one big problem in common: their wives. They decide their wives. They decide to do something drastic about it. <laughs> and I remember I said their wives, but it's actually their wives. W I F. Their wives is like the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> yeah. Two men that meets. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, oh, this uh, yeah I know that it needs to be corrected, but probably nobody. Probably the only people really going to this IMDb page are us and the people who listen to the show. Uh, and those who, you know, follow the Vinegar Syndrome guys pretty well. Uh, we'd never seen this. We were kind of pleasantly surprised by it. Um, I believe both of us were. So I'm going to let you get started on it. And let's chat. Yeah, absolutely. So Carlos uh, Tobolina makes me think of the song, Mr. Tobolina. Remember <laughs> that song? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, he's <laughs> famous for his work, as you'd said, in the adult industry, director of such classics as Pulsating Flesh. Yeah. Boiling Desires, 
Um, <laughs> Fantastic orgy. <clears throat> he had done the Casanova film, so this isn't his first time on our show. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah, he did. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Three ripening cherries. Ooh, nice, nice. I am always, I am always ready. Last tango uh, in Acapulco. Sexual kung fu in Hong Kong. Oh, that sounds interesting, right there. It does. Infrasexum is his first one. Yeah, I think Infrasexum's got a bit of a following. I don't know what it. I don't know what it is. I've never seen it, but Flesh Pond is a great title. <laughs> Flesh Pond. Ooh. <laughs> I am curious, Tahiti. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Tonight. Yeah. I Dad, love you. Dad, pretty young, sixty-three. That is young. I was thinking that. Yeah. So. Oh man, and sexual ecstasy of the Macumba. Mm. So a woman is unable to find love before sexual relations, and these are best found in the ecstasy of voodoo. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, very much known for that output. I don't know how many of his films he had directed were non-porn, uh, but I, th- I think is- I think this is the only one. This is the lonesome one. One is the lonesome. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I mean I don't know if it's full porn. I mean, I think you did a lot of. I think some of the early stuff may have been skin flicks, maybe. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, more so than full penetration. But I believe that this is, from what I understand, I believe this is his only non-pornographic movie. So. Yeah, and this is kind of the tail end of his career, right? So. Yeah, it's his. Uh, it's his one of his last five films. Yeah. That's right. So this uh, held appeal to us because, like I said, uh, Zadar put out three films in 85, but we're told this is his uh, it's a debut. And the other cast members, you said, just to kind of see where they're going to pop up. Um, yeah, Aldo Ray's not a surprise. He popped up in a lot of junk. Uh, he, yeah, he was cashing checks. Cesar Romero, Yvonne DiCarlo, uh, that's a little – I mean, not, not a super surprise at this point in their careers. but And Cornell Wilde, who – uh, that that I think he came out of retirement to do this film. So, <laughs> yeah, and he's in it. Bad move. <laughs> he's in it like literally like three minutes. But yes, in one of the worst, uh, like we said, one of the worst captain to cop uh, scenes we've ever seen. <laughs> in probably the worst or the most poorly set dressed um, police station. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, but that won't hold us back. Uh, this also stars. I don't know if you mentioned this, and I'm getting this from the, the front, like the the DVD box. Mm-hmm. New Action King, Glenn McKay. Ooh, amazing <laughs> Mick Morrow, exquisite Sidney Hill, lovely Gina Tobolina, and comedy King. Jake Monty. All right, so Glenn McKay and Mick Morrow are the leads. Roy Hunter and Jeff Borden as their names in the film. Yeah. The new action star Glenn McKay only made one film, and it was this. And Mick Morrow only made one film, and it was this. So they tried to sell them, uh, but it didn't quite work out. Uh, and boy, you can really tell this is their only film. <laughs> you sure can. Um, I mean, it is. It is. It is the kind of stiff amateur acting that's entertaining. Absolutely. And I wish more filmmakers, you and I spoke about this off the air. Both of us had said how pleasantly surprised we were with how much we had enjoyed it. And I don't know if it was because, again, for those that that don't know, we're in the throes of watching only films from this year because we're doing our, or from 2015 because we're doing our top 30 of 2015 show in a few weeks. Normally our, um, output is much, or what what we consume as far as film goes is much more varied. But 
Um, this almost felt like anti-cram and it was a nice, a breath of, of fresh air, if you will. Um, yeah. And the biggest crime you can make as a low budget film is to be boring. This is never boring. And when you're going to have actors that are of dubious quality, the worst thing you can try to do is hide them. Yeah. Let them out of the pen. <laughs> let them run free. Because as a viewer, you're not fooling anyone by minimizing. All you're doing is making a boring film, which is the biggest crime you can commit. So mm-hmm. let them out of the pen. Let them run with it. And luckily for us, um, new action king Glenn McKay and the amazing Mick Morrow are left to run wild in this film. Yes, indeed. <laughs> And I wish more low-budget filmmakers (laughs) would take much-loved classics from Masters of Film and make low-budget contemporary versions of them. Yes. (laughs) Because it seems like a pretty good formula for my money. I agree. I agree with you completely. Um, This works. I mean, it's weird. When I first started watching, I was like, oh, man, this might not work. This might be a, uh, a slog. But I, I became more and more entertained. Now, of course, I think one of the key things is, is this is obviously harping hardcore on uh, one of Hitchcock's best films, Strangers on a Train. And that's that's easy. That's, that, that's a great story and a great idea. Uh, they, they really don't – well, they, they really don't handle it very well. But, I mean, the setup's good. <laughs> the setup's fine, yeah. And I think that, like you said, I think they let the leads uh, go, and uh, that makes it charming in that weird way that uh, is 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 hard to explain. It's really hard to explain. See, Toblina missed the boat on this because working in the adult film world, if he wanted to homage this film, he could have made strangers strangers running a train. <laughs> um, but anyway, he. he I'm looking through he the wonderful Robert Zadar's filmography, and he was in a movie called Tyrone. In 1999, that I've never seen, but he plays a character named Assface in it. I think I saw that oh. in his credits. I've never seen the film. Uh, it's got Coolio in it. I probably will never. Jeez, oh, I probably will never see the film. <laughs> I guess we're not going to be calling on Tyrone. <laughs> yeah. Yikes! <Ooh>. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> what'd you find? Uh, no, I'm just it, this that that cast. The cast for that's pretty terrible. I don't want to get into it. It's just it's not worth it. Um, now you and I were both very, very, very pleasantly surprised with how amazing this DVD looks. Yes, this, uh, yeah, this DVD looks amazing. I mean, this is, this, you, I would be, if you, if I walked into a room, I would think somebody was watching a Blu-ray of this. Yeah. And that may sound like, um, we're overstating this, but when you look at the source material, it looks beautiful. Like it, it really does. I mean, listen, this isn't, you know, Wachowski speed racer, but, but it no. looks really good. It's really clean. Um, Vincent's another company that they don't have the same budget, uh, for restoration that arrow does, but you know, I, I've seen anything I've seen of them. They've, they've done an admirable job of, of trying to restore things. You know, the, the Casanova films had some scratches and pops and PQ wasn't great. But uh, for what they had, the stuff that looked that could be uh, restored well was, and this looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. It does. Now I got to call them out on one thing, though. This has maybe the most shit cover for a disc that I've seen in a long time. 
It's got this cheap ass <laughs> kind of Cronenberg Videodrome high school level quality <laughs> yeah. gun hand. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at it right now. That's why I'm laughing. It's so strange. It is bizarre. It's like, I don't know. I, I was disappointed with that because you could have made a really fun cover with this. Mm-hmm. So... And I'm sure someone would have done it for next to nothing just to have it out there, right? But The DVD you know. also tries to sell it a little bit as a sexual-type film. There is sex in the movie, but it's very – there's actually very little nudity in the movie. There are some. There's some. We get to see some uh, – yeah, some nudity for sure, some yeah, breasts. Some, and, yeah, very little nudity, though. And we should also say, though, it does have the alternate uh, edit, too. It has a wife contract on here as well, so it's a good, it's a good deal. Yeah, they've sourced the wife contract version from the U.S. Uh, from VH from the U.S. from VHS. Yep, which I didn't so, watch, but um, nor did I. I'd be interested to check that out. See if there's any differences. See what the differences are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny with uh, Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. Did you ever see the one that the Wolf Goblin King did to Johnny Halliday? Uh, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I think yeah, we talked about that before. one. Yeah, uh, it was a few years ago. Probably now, ten or fifteen years ago. But he did one as well. Um, it's funny, you know, it makes sense to me that, uh, Tobolini did shot some of this in Vegas, you know, being from LA, you get a lot of production value from Vegas, right? So yeah, yeah. especially this era of Vegas, cause this is before Vegas is boom. So if you could shoot in a lot of these kind of, uh, um, not taverns, but these, these kind of rundown hotels, bars and, and things like that and get a little bit of value out of it. Um, I want to say this, uh, We've seen in our time doing this show some hard cuts or some hard edits. <laughs> we have. But uh, Ephraim Tobolina, who edited this film, might be the king of the hard cuts. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he he likes his adult entertainment like he likes his editing. <laughs> yeah. There's some hard, so, uh, there's some hard cuts, man, no doubt. There are some hard cuts in this film. Uh, um, like, uh, we, we didn't pick up that shot. Oh, well, cut it. <laughs> Cut. Cut. I wrote down a note now, and it's been a few weeks since we've seen it, but Burger King costume with Tam O'Shanter hat? (laughs) I don't know what that means anymore. I I don't know if that means either. I don't, uh, it has been a few weeks, but I don't know what that meant. (laughs) Yeah. So Uh, I I guess it was just before the bank robbery, because I put my next note is it's odd to see a bank look so analog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that was talking about uh, his costume. His maybe his. Oh, uh, it was. It was because yeah. he put those. Rid- now you want to talk about ridiculous getups for a bank robbery? <laughs> this is pretty bad. Yeah, this is up there with the final score. Uh, <laughs> it is. Guys. It totally is. And it was Mick. That's Mick Morrow, right? No, 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 no. That's the action star, Glenn McKay. That's Glenn McKay. <laughs> who? I, I, who? For your money would have been better in action films. I almost feel like Mick Morrow would have been better in action films. Uh, I yeah. feel like he's more agile than... Yeah, than yeah but Glenn McKay. McKay, well, yeah, he's more agile because Glenn McKay was wearing his pants up to his nipples. He was. <laughs> he was. He was Van Damme before Van Damme was cool, man. He was. Yeah, he was uh, the granddaddy of the Van Damme uh, pant wearing. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> but uh, McKay decides uh, he's going to pay a couple... Unwitting um, drunks, homeless dudes, or yeah. drunks, five dollars to help him rob a bank. Yeah. Now we've seen films like The Killing and a lot of heisty films for Fifi, 
and a lot of other films over the years. And pro- even if you're getting a good rate for $5, <laughs> you get what you pay for with accomplices <laughs> robbing a bank. Yeah. <laughs> I would not want to leave my freedom to two $5 wino accomplices. <laughs> I would not think for one minute we would discuss Rafifi and Flesh and Bullets on the same show. No, I know. I, I, you know what? It's, I wish someone had done a Rafifi at the time. <laughs> yeah. I got a nod to Rafifi. Rafifi. It'd be amazing. But yeah, we talked about the amazing fake eyebrows on uh, uh, new action star. <laughs> yeah. Glenn McKay. Like you, can't, <laughs> you can't help but say new action star Glenn McKay every time you say his name. It's just, it's oh, a- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He, and he's kind of a bit Will Ferrell-esque. Uh yeah yeah I mean he's new action star with but his shirt off yeah he's new action star but he's easily probably in his late forties early fifties maybe yeah he's uh, he's a middle aged man not that there's anything wrong with that but he's you no, know there's not, not I mean a, hey look uh, <laughs> we were just talking about Liam Neeson being able to do kind of the revenge stuff um, yeah 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 there's not as much tread on the tires uh, here with Mr McKay but. Um, we say new action star, but that, do, do we say on the front of the uh, disc it actually says the new action king? Oh, new action king. Yes. And see, that that's... that That's overselling that, it a little bit. <laughs> and that's a proclamation of a whole nother level. Yes, that is. That's Not taking just a start. When you say king, that means you are at the top. <laughs> yeah. It says the new action king, Glenn McKay, amazing Mick Morrow, exquisite Sidney Hill, and lovely Gina Tobolina. Uh, Gina Tobolina. Also, comedy king, Jake Monty. Who is Jake Monty in this? Jake Monroy. I don't know who the fuck that or is. Monroy. I don't, I don't even know who that is. Oh, I think that might have been the drunk. Man. No, what a tour no, de force. That wasn't the turn drunk. from him. <laughs> no, a homeless man in bank robbery is Mike Cartel. I don't even know. I don't even see him in the cast. So he's a new. he's a comedy king, but he's not even listed on the credits here. So, I guess he was hard cut right out of the film. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to Google. Jake Monroe. Comedy King. <laughs> Comedy King. Um, I'll tell you what, our two leads, Amazing McMoron, Comedy King, Comedy King, Action King, New Action King, Glenn McKay, they fucking hate alimony. <laughs> they do. These guys fucking hated being married. <laughs> Man, they hated being married. They hated having to pay alimony. Um, I mean, they really wanted no part of it. Man. Um, they They just... <laughs> So Jake Monroy, I looked up his IMDb. He's got some creature effects credits. Credits. Uh, uh, he's got some effects credits on a film called Creature, but I don't see him on anything else here. It's too bad. King wore a crown for a day. Um, another thing too. There's some really great, uh, kind of incredible bad having a bad dream. Acting oh, yeah. from Glenn McKay in this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and he almost looks like the the poor man's Lee Horsley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he, and how about his his ama- You know what's great too about him and uh, Jeff Borden? Uh, you know, to be those two and to make this film. I mean, it had to have been fun because they get they get to you know make out with lots of women and. And they get to just have praise lavished on them because uh, porn star Mai Lin is in this, and she gets to uh, she gets the the distinct pleasure of of making love to new action King Glenn McKay, and she tells him that 
he is the most incredible love maker <laughs> yeah. she's ever had, and she'll do it for free. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've been doing it wrong all these years, <laughs> but the way Glenn McKay makes love yeah. looks like yeah. a man dancing without rhythm. He's certainly not the new porno king. I can tell you this. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Hell no, man. He is definitely not. He's He is so awkward the way he makes love. I can find nothing on this Jake Monroy, this comedy king. <laughs> must be an insider thing, man. It must be. <laughs> that inner circle. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sexy sax, too, which is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tobolina knows where his bread's buttered in the, in the audio department during a lovemaking scene. Yeah, we should mention, so, uh, while we're talking about all this, there's some there's a crazy <laughs> amount of narration in this film. Well, you and I had said this film <laughs> has the most... Voice so everyone there is um, the democratization of the voiceover technique. Everyone is given a voiceover except for the children in this film. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah, I'm trying to. I think I may have found who Jake Monroy is. He is Wino Jake. So yeah, I was right. He was the the. That's the comedy king, Wino Jake. Comedy king. That is a pretty bad Wino performance. That is, wino performances are always very cringeworthy in films. Yeah, and then and yeah, they are, and this one is particularly bad. So yeah, I don't know if I would have labeled him as a comedy king. Ooh, that's over. That's overstating <laughs> things, yeah. I think, a bit. But how about? And I don't know what this note means, but I <laughs> what a weird note. Singlet wearing hot Joan Cusack. Ooh. Just nah, ring a bell. No, nah, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to ring my bell right now. Trying to think. Well, first of all, the mere thought of that rings my bell. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but, no, uh, I, I have a weakness for Joan Cusack. But so uh, do I, and it's an inexplicable thing. But this is apparently a singlet wearing hot Joan Cusack. Yeah, like for some strange reason, like Adam's family values, like she really turns me on for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, let's see. I, I don't know. I can't. I couldn't tell. Oh, is no, no, it's not that. No, I, I can't remember. One of the adult stars, but um, I put pictures at the bar again. I don't know what that means anymore. The minutia just. Oh, you know, oh, no, 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 no. That, that's that's good. I, oh, my, the pictures at the bar. That's what it is. It's the woman who's yeah. who propositions them, and she's wearing like yeah. a singlet. Yeah, I say that. Uh, I, my note is that insensitive call girl with trading cards. <laughs> yeah, she comes to the table. I mean, she's pressing. I mean, she's got the full court press on. She's selling herself with she via is, photos. Yeah, she and I've never seen this technique again. And she you know, gets she me. gets shit on by the uh, new Action King and the amazing McMorrow. Both they, they, she they, she gets matumboed <laughs> by both of them. And yeah, but she has this technique of she'll kind of discreetly slide up to you at the bar stool <laughs> and start showing you trading cards of her naked and ask yeah. if you want some. And the guys will be like, "It's not bad." Yeah, Coy Roy, yeah. hashtag. They didn't want any part of uh, yeah. Hot John Cusack. So. That Mick Morrow Twitter feed. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, if if Mick Morrow and Glenn McKay, especially Glenn McKay, I feel like his Twitter would be even better. Yes. Morrow seemed to be a little more... Of more heart. Well, I thought Morrow may have went on to do other stuff, but it's weird. Neither one of them did. But I thought, yeah, Morrow, he, and actually I thought maybe he might be, for a red hot minute, I thought, is he related to Vic Morrow? 
because he does have a oh, kind of a striking chin and kind of a a look. He also looks like Todd Marinovich a little bit. Yes, he does. He does. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> it's weird, but but yeah, Glenn uh, Glenn if Glenn McKay did a Twitter feed under his uh, with using the Roy Hunter persona, it'd be pretty amazing. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Um, I love uh, – what does this say? A, a quote I wrote down, I was just with someone like you, perhaps even better. <laughs> that, that's, I don't know. That's that's the same th- – that's that's the girl. So she, she goes – first she's hitting on McMorrow. She's showing her trading cards to McMorrow. Yeah. He's, not, he's not too interested. And he's talking about alimony, and that's what Glenn McKay he, yeah, that's hears. That's right, because he says, I say I put alimony for everyone. Okay, yeah. I'm with you. And then he goes over. Then she goes over to Glenn McKay, Action King Glenn McKay. She goes over to him, and he says, I've seen, you know, hey, but I've seen, these are nice, but I've I've had better. It really shits on her, man. I mean, really totally shits on her. And oh, she, that's because he was talking about Mei Lin. That's yeah, right. Yeah, Just, yeah. He's totally like a piece of shit to her, yeah. yeah. And then someone mentioned something about cousins from Montana. <laughs> Yeah, just bizarre. Um, and I love, yeah, so this is the point when Morrow, um, an amazing Mick Morrow and actually King Glenn McKay finally feet, meet face-to-face. Yeah. And they're they're trading war stories. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, they're talking about how she took me for everything and alimony. And we get some pretty great divorce court flashbacks. Yeah, Yvonne DiCarlo in one. She's, yeah. She's a judge in one, and then uh, Cesar Romero is the judge in the other. So literally, they're in the movie about I don't know thirty to seconds to a minute. They probably paid them for an hour's worth of work. Yeah, they probably paid them well too. I mean, you know, yeah, relatively speaking, for sure. Um, then, then we flash back to a really tender, vulnerable scene from Mick Morrow. He's he's revealing some things, <laughs> which you know I wouldn't reveal them to a man I just met, but. <laughs> Uh, he confesses to murdering two gay wrestlers in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, it doesn't sound funny when you say it like that, but oh, you got to see the scene. It's pretty great. I mean, uh, Big Morrow. It's an incredible scene. <laughs> he essentially, uh, he lives in a very small apartment, which is realistic, I guess, if you're in San Francisco. I mean, it's an expensive place to live. Yeah, it is. He gets a knock on the door. A couple of gay wrestlers show up and some pretty bad stereotypical wrestling gear from like 1968. But this is 1985. Don't forget. And uh, yeah, they're drunk. One of them's uh, Bill Margold, porn, porno star. Uh, I can't remember who the other one is. Uh, Bill Lupo, it says, is on the on the credits here. Bill Lupo. Lupo means wolf. Yeah, Bill Lupo and William Margold. They're Russ, the homo wrestler, and Frank, the homo wrestler. And uh, yeah, they take advantage of poor McMorrow. Now it's not graphic; it's just it's it. Well, it's it's implied heavily that that's what they do to him. Well, they even said we're gonna fuck you <laughs> and suck you. <ya." laughs> My favorite part about this whole thing is that McMorrow says that he waited a couple weeks and he planned it out efficiently, and all he does is ride up on a motorcycle and gun him down and then take off. <laughs> and the police seem to think that a sniper did it. Someone with incredible marksmanship. He shoots him with like a thirty-eight revolver. Yeah, he pulls up on like a dirt bike and you know does them in like Euro crime style. But Mick Morrow treats and they're, and they're still drinking. We should say they're still drinking at that point. They're still and still wrestling, still wrestling, still wearing the wrestling attire. Yeah, they're <laughs> still partying hard. It's uh, you know they're working for the weekend every day of the weekend. Uh, we get 
Rick Morrow there, which is good. And uh, yeah, these guys love to drink beer and party under the uh, under a shaded tree. That's, <laughs> that's how they get down. Um, and I love the line the cop says, what kind of person would want to kill two homosexual wrestlers? Yeah, that's a great line. It's cor- maybe cor- the kind of person that's been raped by both of them. Yeah, the great Cornell Wilde comes out of retirement to say that line. To say that line, yeah. <laughs> and um, he's got a bad die job in this, too. Oh, yeah, I feel bad. Well, you know, I mean, again, these it looks to me like the, 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 the talent, quote-unquote, the big names in this. <laughs> Uh, you know, they obviously probably all came out for, you know, a grand or something, you know, a couple grand, you know, for, I mean, cause Yvonne DiCarlo and C- uh, uh, Cesar Romero, they're literally reading their lines off a piece of paper. Yeah. And, uh, just wearing a judge's out, uh, uh, thing. <laughs> they probably shared the same judges out. <laughs> they probably did. Yeah. Cause they're not on the scene together. So, and they're just reading, uh, you know, reading off a piece. I mean, they literally are reading off a piece of paper. You can see them reading the lines. So that's good work if you can get it. I mean, you know, they probably showed up by work for an hour, probably got like a grand or a couple grand, maybe even five grand. Who knows? I mean, that's good work. Yeah, it would have been good work for them. Um, yeah, because I put dot marksman, which we talked, which we talked about, oh, and then we get it. And again, sign of the times, mid eighties film. We get a Nam flashback. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that that Nam, that Nam flashback made me wish that there was a new Action King film with Clint McKay, because uh, his Nam flashback literally looks like he just put on a camouflage hat and uh, showed up <laughs> in the desert in uh, California and just shot some people. Uh, Why couldn't Bruno Mattei have discovered Mick Morrow well, and, Mc- and Glenn McKay? Why couldn't he have done a pop film with those two? Yeah, yeah like Mc- that Brent Huff one. Um, <laughs> Oh, after post Vietnam, fuck, what's it called? What, cop game, cop, cop game, yeah. yeah, cop game, yeah. The uh, yeah, that that flashback is pretty funny. It's it's a it's a terrible thing he's doing in the flashback, but it's hilarious. It is. I, we forgot to mention Jeff does have JMB on his shelf as he reads Popular Mechanics magazine. Yes, Popular Mechanics magazine, very popular. <laughs> no pun intended. In yes. the uh, late seventies, early eighties, big time. <laughs> Big time. And I'm glad that Jeff, another thing I get even credit for, he knows the sockless score. Yes. He doesn't want socks, so good on him. Yeah. Um, well, you know, in fairness to him, he's in the he's on the you know, he's in California, Southern California. California, yeah. man. California. Las Vegas. Cool. Yeah, you that's know, right. Just dry heat, um, man. You don't need you don't need socks and dry heat. Socks. This give if to give you an example, and it, and it sounds like maybe we're, we're riffing on this, but we had a lot of fun with it because like I said, Tobolina didn't have any um, pretension about what he was making to give people a comparison. And I think this is a fair comparison. This would feel, this feels to me a little bit like, like a low rent version of an Andy Sidaris film. Yes, it does. That's kind of the vibe. A, l- I a less talented version of an Andy Sidaris film. Absolutely. Yep. Less talented, less budget. I'm not normally one for women with short hair. no, disrespect to more women with short hair that listen to the show. Mm-hmm. But I found myself a lot more attracted to short haired Dolores and trying to do a Sammy search <laughs> yeah. than I did of uh Gail. Yeah. I liked both of them, but yeah, I was, I was there with you, man. I like both of them. Yeah. Something about her. Um, I like Dolores and I like Gail. Gail wears uh well, I got a note here. Uh, that moment when your mom's new boyfriend plays baseball with you while your mom wears a bathing suit. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. 
I know. Dead uncomfortable moment. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. Like, hey, mom, you know, put some fucking clothes on. <laughs> she's just gallivanting in the skimpies. <laughs> and she's not, you know, we talked about Glenn McKay being an awful lovemaker, but she's kind of an awful kisser in this. Yeah, the, well, the lovemaking, again, the 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 romantic, quote-unquote, lovemaking in this film is pretty dreadful. And the ro- and the romance itself is pretty dreadful. I mean, if if you want to be serious now, if you want to There's have fun, no love in this film. yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want to have, yeah, the most the, the most sexual intense scene in this film is between Robert Zadar and McMorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you see the film, you know what we mean because Zadar really brings some serious energy to this movie when he pops up. I mean, he brings some fucking he brings some uh, some real some real heat, man. Some real heaviness to to the his little moments. He, his, While listening to the Cinderella soundtrack, on vinyl, no less. <laughs> and we don't mean we mean the Cin- Disney. Cin- we don't mean the rock group Cinderella. We mean yes. Disney soundtrack, like books on tape or books on vinyl, like yeah. you know, or or movies on <clears throat> whatever. You know those things with a little record in the back. Yeah. But no, it was a full size album. It was a full size album, but it wasn't yes. a Cinderella soundtrack. Yeah, he's got it in his apartment. His cameo in this is sort of. If this was wrestling, it would have been like the Ultimate Warrior's entrance. Yes, yes, he's going to bring some thunder. Quick. Yeah, he's got some nice uh, rustler jeans on. He's got a really sh- uh, sharp a red shirt. He, he, lo- he looks great. You know, he's young. He looks great. He does look great. How about uh, that frigid bitch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I only say that <laughs> in the words. Yeah. Of new action king Glenn McKay, he calls his wife a frigid bitch. I don't know how many times. Yeah, he really does. I mean, it, it, there's, there's a lot of. Uh, she seems like a wonderful woman to me. Yeah, she seems like a nice woman to me too. But, she seems sweet. But he, evidently, she's a frigid bitch. But she seems to give it up pretty quickly to Mick Morrow. She gives it up to the dude that changed her tire 45 minutes ago. <laughs> I don't know how frigid that is, but in my world, I don't know where <laughs> what world. You know, Mick Morrow lives in, but uh, yeah, I mean, fuck. that's pretty impressive. Forty-five minutes after you meet someone, <laughs> you change a tire. Bed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's 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 kind of the opposite of frigid, I would say. Yeah, maybe it was opposite day in Action King's world, man. I don't know, but um, I don't know. I put here, Lloyd loves high pants. Uh, that's the well. That's that's our boy. Uh, Oh, Action King? Action King, yeah. Other dude likes to make housewives come. Oh, was he eating pussy in this? I can't remember. I can't remember. I, I, uh, maybe. Yeah, I think he was, maybe. Yeah, like said, El Nana. Here's a pro tip, if I may be crass <laughs> for a moment. As much as you don't want to be the woman that gives it up 45 minutes after uh, someone changes your tire, I don't think you want to be eating the pussy of a stranger. I mean, he goes for it, <laughs> well, yeah. full tilt. Yeah, but you know, everyone's different. Yeah, you know, everyone gets down differently. But uh, you know, um, yeah, that's true. Everybody gets down differently. Some people, that's their primary moment. Yeah, yeah, into it. Yeah, that's they want to eat at the yeah. Y. That's their primary goal, right? So yeah, that's prime rib, there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, for some. Yeah, and I love that uh, one of them. I can't remember who it is now, but one of them is called. They, they're said. This is said about them. You must be the reincarnation of Casanova. Yes. <laughs> These guys are legends. Yeah. I think that was actually King Glenn McKay. I think he was the it reincarnation. Probably was. Yes. He probably requested probably. that line to be said in the film. 
I can't. I, I, I mean, I can see that. I can see that. And these guys love to use uh, to use sort of the old term. These dudes love to ball. <laughs> yeah. What's weird about this movie is it feels like it's made in the seventies, but I mean, we're talking the mid eighties here. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I've got to speed through the notes here because we're really running short. Yeah, uh, I I'm, love get, I'm getting te- I'm getting texts from the upstairs, the second floor, okay, saying so. uh, you better be done at seven because. <laughs> yeah, we got to get going. So I love the chintzy score of the film. We both agreed Dolores is better. Um, finally, at fifty four minutes and one second, the Zadar and he's fucking mad. Oh yeah, um, yeah, he is. There's some really awful, crass kind of misogynistic lines about rape uh, in this film. Yeah, not like just like just tone deaf, like totally written by like a guy. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, a, there's a lot of male centric dialogue that's pretty dreadful. Female, clueless. Ones. Yeah, yeah. Clueless. It's pretty bad. This is kind of '80s California VHS trash neo noir. Yeah, which is a genre, subgenre that I wish um, had more films in it, hmm. um, because it works well. Um, how bad would Glenn McKay's boots have smelled when he's wearing no socks in his cowboy boots. That's a bad move. That is a bad move. Yeah. No socks is, uh, I know you like no socks, but even now, I know. Not with gotta, cowboy boots. Yeah. Man. Cowboy boots, you got to rock, rock the socks. I mean, <laughs> you got to rock the socks. And he's in the desert, isn't he? Uh, they, that, yeah, he is in the desert. That's so when they go. Yeah, he takes his, the girl out there uh, for that well, bu- bucket of KSE at campsite there. <laughs> I was about to say, that's not all he takes out there. He's got that bucket of KFC when they're hiking. So, man, another bad move. Yeah, that, another pro tip: don't take fried chicken to the desert on a on a lovemaking soiree. Yeah, that's a that's just yeah, fried chicken. Fried chicken's delicious. I'm you know I'm from Kentucky. Fried chicken is wonderful, but fried chicken is the last thing I want to eat and fuck with. Yeah. Oh <laughs> well, man, I know. Oh, no, I know. I William, agree. Fre- William Freakin might disagree, but I, for me, it's. <laughs> It's the last thing I want to eat because I feel like filth after I eat it. I agree. Uh, both of our leads, when they're daydreaming about their sort of finale, they're wearing tan on tan on tan, <laughs> which is amazing. A lot of tan, yeah. And the Mayan theater is sort of the the last scene in this film. And that's a really great looking venue. I looked it up afterwards. Hmm. That's a really cool theater for those of our listeners that are Angelinos or Southern California people. That looks like a cool theater, man. The Mayan Theater. Anyway, those are all my notes. Yeah, that uh, I don't really have much more to add. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed everything you enjoyed about the movie. Um, again, not a masterpiece, but uh, very enjoyable. And maybe, oh, yeah. maybe it's a little skewed from the fact that we watched a whole bunch of, you know, critically acclaimed. Yeah, critically acclaimed fair. But you know, whatever. There is a weird line at the end, though, where they talk about swapping wives. Now we can swap children. I'm like, yeah, I know. That what is it? What is a weird line? Yeah, my note is what? What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because the one didn't want to take his son to play baseball, and the other one wanted a daughter, and they're like, now we can swap kids. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah, <laughs> you I go know, from planning murder to swapping kids, and I mean, I know obviously it wasn't meant the way it's said, but when it's said, it's like, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it seems no, out of place. <laughs> it did. It was like, ooh. Um, yeah, but I, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, again, it's it's super low budget. It's super cheap. Um, the the police uh, scene could be. I mean, it could be where you could just. It's like a false wall. You could push it. It could just be made of paper. For all I know. So it's that kind of movie. Um, but there's a charm to it that uh, is kind of irresistible. I think if you like these kind of movies, 
I think you. I mean, and it's 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 short too. It's like what ninety minutes, maybe eighty five minutes. Eighty. Oh, I think it's like eighty two minutes yeah. or seventy seven minutes or something. Yeah. And it really kind of chugs along. It doesn't really get too boring. I mean, there's a couple nope. moments where I mean, the, some of the meat cute stuff is kind of fun. And but it's some it's fun because it's clumsy. Yeah, it's very clumsy. But uh, it it I've seen much worse than this. And I've seen so much worse. Everyone goes for it. I don't feel like anyone half asses this film. No. Everyone's committed, and which is what you want from a film like this. You want everyone to be committed. Yep, exactly. But that's all I got, man. So your MVTs and make or breaks. Oh gosh, make or break. Where to start? Um, ah man, I think I'm going to go with the scene when when Jeff is going to like he's contemplating whether to kill or make love to uh, Dolores. I guess um, we used to get some heavy voiceover there. And, yeah. You know, it's it's good stuff. I don't know. I could pick any number of scenes. The the bucket of KFC. I think what's his name gets. Oh, he, oh we didn't even talk about the snake bite scene. And oh, yeah. there's so much, man. There's so much in this. Um, MVT. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Um, amazing Mick Morrow and new action King Glenn McKay. <laughs> They're amazing together. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Too bad they didn't make any more films together. Oh, I wish they did. Um, and my score is going to sound kind of weird to, to people. They think I'm overstating it here. I'm going to give it a 7.5, man. Nice. Man. And, and that's because I really enjoyed this film. I will watch it again. And it's low budget and it's clumsy. And you could say it's poorly acted. But there's a commitment there and there's no pretense about what it is. And we always try to grade films on what they're going for. And this is trying to be like street meat as far as your <laughs> nutrition. And it is like 2 a.m. drunk hot dog from a vendor hits the spot <laughs> yes yes 3 a.m in the morning white castle in the car <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's right um okay yeah my make or break scene uh i really know this is a crass thing to say but man that flashback to the homosexual wrestlers oh. <laughs> no that's what i gotta say i had to change mine to that i had to change mine to that it is oh <laughs> man it is tasteless and wonderful all at the same time it's exploitation tr- filmmaking yeah truly what you want from this type of movie it's it, it's, yeah. it's definitely that it's uh out of time out of place and out and of sight Holland Oates and, and has Holland Oates and out of touch <laughs> oh man it's way out of touch <laughs> and we're talking 85 here I mean that, that's pretty late in the game to be that far out of touch <laughs> I know man <laughs> Uh, MVT, I'll go with uh, Carlos Tobolina because I don't think I'll, I mean, I know I've seen the Casanova films, didn't really love those, so I mean, I don't know if I'll see any more Tobolina. Maybe I will, but Vincent might have put out some more Tobolina, who knows? Actually, they may have. Maybe we might have I'm some. I'm sure they have, yeah. Uh, my score's just a little bit lower than yours, seven. Uh, I'll give it a nice. straight seven. Uh, mileage may vary for some, but I think this is a fun movie, and I think it's a good movie to watch with like, like-minded individuals. Like, you know, it's oh, a good, yes. It's a good sit around and watch movie together. Uh, fun stuff. Like, you know, when people want to get together and just have some fun. That's that's what this a is. Or around the thing. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to take a short break. we got to kind of crank through the second review. My apologies ahead of time, but uh, we have to. So uh, I don't want to be in the doghouse. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll be back right after this. Baby, hey, baby, can I do it? Can I do it? 
everybody welcome back all right so our next film is sometimes aunt martha does dreadful things uh this is another release we had not seen nor heard of um and uh, we'll kind of get into it here uh this is another release for like except from vinegar syndrome those wonderful guys over there at the vinegar syndrome uh oh hang on i'm trying to work uh, never mind uh okay let me uh, synopsize this real quick stanley and paul a pair of friends on the run from the law rent a house. Oh, that rhymes. Rent a house in the suburbs where they decide the best way to lay low is for Paul to dress as a woman and pretend to be <laughs> Stanley's Aunt Martha. So, uh, you know, a bizarre choice, but uh, this is an exploitation film. And uh, so, you know, by that, you kind of know what you're getting into. Now, this disc is pretty great because this disc uh, does actually come with some uh, bonus features. It actually has a uh, commentary on it from um, David Dakota, who easily Dakota. is yeah he's easily up there with Takashi Miki when it comes to prolific filmmaking. Uh, yes, I, I think he's done 119 films in like 30 years. <laughs> oh yeah, 
And uh, film historian uh, Nate Thompson from MondoDigital.com also has a commentary on here with him. It's pretty wonderful. Which is great yeah, for films like this to have a nice commentary. That's Yeah. No, wonderful. it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful because they kind of get into the fact that this is kind of regional filmmaking. And this film was made in Florida. So it has that Florida kind of regional filmmaking look. We kind of talked about that. Uh, was it last week we talked about that? Yeah, two weeks in a row we've done regional yeah. uh, Floridian filmmaking. Yeah. And this one's directed by Thomas Casey, who I don't know what else Thomas Casey did. Not much. This is the only thing he directed. And it looks like he shot, he was a cinematographer on Flesh Feast, Sweet Bird of Aquarius, and Pennywise. And uh, did some editing on Monster Go-Go. Didn't really do a whole lot. This is pretty much uh, pretty much it, a one and done as far as uh, direction goes. Stars Abe's Wick as Paul, the titular uh, Aunt Martha. Uh, stars Wayne Crawford, who would go on to be quite a prominent producer of uh, exploitation films. He actually produced Night of the Comet and quite a few other things. Yeah, and uh, worked as an actor, too. I mean, he's got yeah. 33 credits to his name. Valley um, Girl was one that he... Uh, he was uh, in Stick Fighter. Yeah. <laughs> he directed a few films, too. He, uh, Snake Island. Was one of those. He directed uh, the underwater scenes in Barracuda. I really wish we could have, we would have time to get into his filmography because he he has some great character names and he yeah. worked in some incredible films. Yeah, he did from the looks of it. Yeah, he including produced, White Ghost. So. He produced oh, the Lee Horsley uh, thing. He, he produced Jake Speed. So all comes back to Horsley. <laughs> it does. How about that? And it also uh, stars an actress playing uh, Mrs. Adams. Uh, her name is Yanka Man. So oh, Yanka Man. <laughs> so. There you go, Yanka Man. Is uh, she did eight films? <laughs> what a name! <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, Maggie Wood, Yanka Man, <laughs> Francelia Waterbury. <laughs> I don't know. This, yeah, crazy names in here. Anyway, uh, again, this is a very regional film. This is an interesting kind of take on things. Uh, the Abe's Wick. He would only do this one film, and and nobody really knows anything more about him. I listened to the commentary, and they said that. He's kind of a mystery, Abe Zwick. They don't. He did this one film, and he never really showed up or ever did anything else again. And people have tried to find him and reach out to him and stuff, but he's evidently one of these guys that's kind of fallen off the map, or maybe he's not around anymore. Who knows? That's too. Yeah, that's too bad because I think he's quite good in the film. He is. He is. He's real good in the film. Um, I like that he manages to always smoke a cigar without his wig on. Like that's the moment the masculinity has to kick back in is when he has to take the wig off. He puts the cigar in his mouth. So it's yeah, totally, man. This one was made really cheap. But a lot of the scenes were shot uh, in Florida, like we said. A lot of this movie shot in Florida, but it's shot the same place where they used to shoot the old Tarzan films. And if you look around while they're walking around, you can kind of get that sense of that kind of uh, tropical kind of look that those Tarzan films had, or kind of like the Gilligan's Island show had. Uh, kind of this weird, kind of big, leafy, kind of tropical, strange look. Looks almost Californian, but definitely Floridian if you look at it close enough. And it's uh, kind of cool to see like Florida, like the Florida suburbs in 1971. There's something kind of interesting about that for me. Yeah. Because it's before Florida became the Florida we know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is, like I said, this is 1971. So this deals with a little bit of the hippie movement, kind of the tail end yeah. of that. And uh, kind of the more modern suburb kind of look, uh, you know, where the hippies are kind of looked upon. Uh, badly, but Stanley, uh, the Wayne Crawford character is kind of, uh, hanging on to his youth through the hippie movement, um, drugs and whatnot. And it feels like the Abe's Wick character, Aunt Martha or Paul, he's, uh, moving on. Now there's never really implied that they're homosexual lovers. lovers. Yes. It's never really implied that uh, completely, but I think you can get that Paul at least loves Stanley so weird, Paul Stanley. <laughs> I, I know. I was just about to say, dude, Paul Stanley. <laughs> so weird. Uh, it's um, 
it's it, it, it well, i mean it's not implicitly implied is that is that the right way can you say, i don't know if that i think that's it's not way. explicitly Im- there well, we go i guess <laughs> we could say it's not made explicitly clear yeah something anyway we're trying to crank through it like i said i got a few minutes here uh but not always the but case. yes, but it's <laughs> but it's uh you know <laughs> sacre <bleu>. uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely there. You can sense that at least at the very least at the, well, at least Zabe Zwick's character loves Wayne Crawford's character in at least a fatherly way, if not uh, a boyfriend more type daddy way. Yeah, 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 more like daddy, yeah. Uh, very interesting kind of relationship between them two. And really, probably my favorite thing about the movie is the relationship between Abe Zwick and Wayne Crawford. It's pretty great. Abe Zwick reminds me a lot of a cross between Judd Hirsch and Andy Kaufman. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really good, yes. That, With that, a dash of, of Rod Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, that's actually really good. Uh, I like, and I can totally see the Hirsch and Kaufman right away. Um one of my mo- notes here is uh, moats. One of my moats here is uh, that mystery <laughs> machine. Is around your castle. <laughs> yeah, that mystery machine. At one point, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're driving around this van. It was very much a hippie van. Uh, there's a lot of frolicking on the beach in this. We we get a lot. Oh, we've seen that. We've seen we've seen to be on the beach a lot lately in these films. Nothing uh, with that. Pe- it's winter time. Yeah, people getting the naked. living's not easy. Yeah, people getting naked on the beach a lot lately. It seems like in films we've watched Mad Foxes. This seems like there's another one. They don't That's follow the pro tip. You don't want sand in the crack of your ass. No, <laughs> no. Uh, the passive aggressiveness of the Zwick and Crawford relationship is interesting, and also you know the, the fact that they kind of just this kind of pesky neighbor, this kind of older lady who's gotten pregnant oh, late yeah. in life. Uh, she has a daughter who's a nurse, um, who's the love interest of uh, Stanley, right? Yeah, Stanley has. It, it seems to me that Stanley's like sexually confused. He's he. Loves the Aunt Martha. He loves his Aunt Martha, uh, quote unquote, to say that. But he seems to, you know, like I said, he seems to want to hang on to his youth and kind of carefree attitude. And him and Zwick are at two different ends of the spectrum. It's like Zwick has moved on. He may have been. He wants guy. to settle down and be yeah. serious. And, and and Crawford just can't handle it and stuff. And Crawford's really good in the throw. movie, man. He really he. They're both really good in the film. I mean, the film film is very well acted for how cheap it is. And I agree. Um, that's a, it's interesting. Both films we watched this week from Vinegar, they're they're both uh, pretty well acted considering. Mm-hmm. Um, so the film kind of moves along. Aunt Martha, she likes to you know she likes to use the knife. He she likes to use the knife. Uh, it's Abe's wick. Uh, it's it's pretty standard, but there is a bit of gruesomeness toward the end <laughs> mm-hmm. that was surprising. Uh, I don't know where it came from. Uh, I don't think it really needed to go there. But uh, it, it works in a weird way, in that exploitation way that it's supposed to. But it was, uh, it was, it was pretty interesting to see. Well, I mean, they don't show everything. We should say. I mean, it's not explicitly gory, um, yes. but it is nasty enough. Um, it feels like a Herschel Gordon Lewis film without the gore, the quote unquote gore. It feels also like um, Tim Burton and John Waters would like this film. Yes, yes. It feels like... Trashy suburbia yeah, of a certain era. Kind of unseen. Uh, people don't really talk about it. And, they, and, and, and the commentary track uh, or, that's done, they, they talk about it. Is, sorry, even like a really low-rent kind of Douglas Sirk kind of... Ah, uh, yes. You know. Yes. Yeah, the... Uh, 
it definitely has that feel of a, of a cult movie waiting to be discovered. Um, I guess it got released on VHS at some point, maybe, uh, or something. I know uh, on the commentary track, David Dakotu, and I always say his name that way. I used to always say Dakotu as well, but I think he says Dakotu. Oh, well, he says his go. own name. Uh, I think he says himself that he kind of came upon this late. Somebody showed it to him, and he kind of became fascinated with it because of the Abe's Wick uh, performance and kind of where this film came from. Um, there's not a lot to say about the movie, oddly, which is kind of works out because we don't have a lot of time to review it because it's pretty point, it's pretty point A to point B. I mean, essentially two characters are hiding out from a jewelry robbery. You got a nosy neighbor who wants to know what's going on. And the, probably the really only complication about it is the Wayne Crawford character who can't seem to think, who can't seem to figure out if he's straight, if he's bisexual or if he's homosexual or what he is. And he really seems lost. And uh, that element makes it a deeper film than you would expect because you don't really need that in this kind of movie. But it's nice that, you know, the Crawford character is confused. He seems to be a uh, a boy, a man child, a, a man that's, yes. who's reached adulthood but can't really get past being like 13, 14 years old. Uh, be that the culture he hangs in or just be that that he's emotionally stunted, whatever you want to say. But that aspect of the movie makes it the most interesting uh, piece of it. And I can't really get into the back end because there is a bit of a twist, a little bit of a thing that happens toward the back end. But this is, I was surprised at how much I kind of like this because I thought I wasn't going to like this. I didn't like it as much as Flesh and Bullets, but I did like this more different. than I thought it would. Yeah. yeah, totally different. Yeah, I mean, we're talking 14 years in between. That's a whole generation of filmmaking. But it's, um, it, it was it was pretty good, actually. It was. I was surprised at how good it was. I wish Thomas Casey would have made more stuff. But let me kick it over. I mean, I know this is a super short review, but I, again, I, I there's nothing I can do. So my no, hands, no, my cool. hands are tied, man. I got a little girl yeah, upstairs that's, that's not in a good mood. No, that's the way it goes. Seventy-one. I think this is very progressive. Drive-in films were more progressive than they're giving credit for it. Sometimes dealing with gay domestic life without outright saying it. Um, wallpaper everywhere in a house is never a good idea. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, our boy uh, Stanley really loves that onk necklace. Oh yeah, <laughs> I he saw really that in does. something else this past week. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, and and Abe's uh, Paul threatens to stick a broomstick up your ass. Yeah, which is classic. Um, this is very much Odd Couple too, in some ways. <laughs> yeah, um, the ultra violent uh, Odd Couple. You know what this reminds me of? It's not as kind of intense or inept. But it reminds me – this almost feels like it has a bit of a breezy, likable kind of – like Tony Curtis. I'm not, I don't know if it's in it because the drag thing. Like Tony Curtis kind of 60s, like a bird cagey kind of drive-in circuit charm. Um, it's almost like a Nick Millard-esque film too. Like have you ever seen that film Crazy Fat Ethel? Uh, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of from the get go. Yes. Yeah, it totally has kind of that vibe, but it's more competently made. Even though I like Crazy Fat Ethel a lot. Um, yeah, it's, man, I'll tell you what. Not that junkies should be immaculately groomed, but the junkie in this is fucking disheveled. <laughs> yeah. Really disheveled. And I don't understand the fixation with having a castle door for your house. It just no, uh, no. kind of accentuates your house isn't a castle, doesn't it? Yeah, the blonde, uh, the blonde that's in it with Wayne Crawford, too. I can't, I can't figure out in my head if I thought she was sexy or not. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I'm not sure either. Um, the film is pretty competently shot, which, again, I really wish that um, Casey had done more work. Um, and it has a nice kind of breezy, sexy score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I like the score a lot. 
Pro tip: Don't put your donuts in a cigar box. Ooh, yeah, that's not a good idea. That sounds it's like not a good idea. It sounds like a kind of a euphemism for sex. <laughs> it does, <laughs> lest you end up with tobacco in lieu of coconut sprinkles on your donuts. Um, teach, and you know, teach their own, I guess. Teach their own, I guess. Another thing too. This reminds me of Paul Bartel's private parts a little bit. Yeah, it's it's totally got that feel. If if you if you're kind of picking up what we're putting down, but those kind of like Herschel Gordon Lewis, Paul Bartel. It totally has that kind of feel. Like this is something John Waters would watch. All that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, totally, man. Totally. Uh, and then also the American Genre Film Archive worked in tandem with Vinegar Syndrome, much like they did on the other one we really liked um, uh, with the the superhero, the black guy that got the powers. Um, oh yeah. Fuck, I can't remember the name of it now. Super Soul Brother. Super Soul Brother. Yeah. Was gonna so yeah, you know, it has a charm, and uh, the more I think. But this one, the more I liked it. Let's kick it over to you. We're getting a make or break and we teasing scores. <laughs> yeah, you can tell we're really under the gun here. Nobody wants to get in trouble with the wife. Um, and <laughs> I don't want a broomstick up my ass. And let me, let me, let me, let me make sure I put this out there just in case my wife ever goes back and listen to this. It's not that she's a hard ass, but she's, in her defense, she's been up all night off and on letting me sleep because I didn't get much sleep this past week, taking care of a little girl who wakes up every two or three hours wanting chow. And, uh, God bless her. She's the best mom I can possibly think of. So it's my turn to let her rest a little bit because she works hard as well. She's been up all night long. All night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All night. All right. (laughs) Didn't expect that little foray, did we? Uh, MVT, I'm going to go with the relationship between Stanley and Aunt Martha, quote-unquote Paul. It's uh, pretty great, man. Uh, I I really like that. There's an element of the film I didn't expect. Um, I could give it to Thomas Casey as well because he didn't direct a whole lot of film. Well, he didn't direct any other films. This is the only one he ever directed. But I really like that relationship between Abe Zwick. And that performance from Abe Zwick is – and Wayne Crawford. I know Abe Zwick gets a lot of charm for this, but uh, Wayne Crawford's really good in the film as well. Uh, make or break. Man, that's tough. There's a couple of good scenes in here. I'm, I'm going to go with the uh, kind of a, a climactic scene in a little cabin. I'll go with that. It surprisingly gets nasty when I didn't expect it. And I'll give the film a 6.5. I don't think it's great. But I think it's totally entertaining and worth a check, uh, worth watching out. And the commentary track, I did listen to the commentary track for this one. It's very good. So uh, I would nice definitely, I would. Touch. It doesn't look as great as Flesh and Bullets did on DVD, but uh, it does look pretty good. I have to say. Nice. Okay, my make or break. Uh, I'm gonna go with the opening. You know, just kind of this. You know, at first. I didn't realize it was a man in drag. Um, <laughs> the very first, until it, the camera got closer, then I immediately realized. Um, we get the nosy neighbor and stuff, and <clears throat> you know, I kind of like that scene. He's trying to like brush her off, like buzz off, and he's trying to get in the house so he can smoke a cigar. And you know, speaking of uh, metaphor, um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, my MVT. I could also go with the director. I th- wish Casey did work more because I think he could have carved out a nice little filmography, but. I want to go with his quote unquote sports uh, uh, vernacular, his featured back, uh, Abe's Wick as Paul. Nice. I really liked him in the film, man. Yeah, I really good. thought he put in a good performance and yeah, he's good. was charming and breezy and gets pretty intense at the back end. But uh, yeah, and my score is the exact same as yours, a 6.5 out of 10. This isn't a great film, but looking at the context and as film history, man, this is a low budget regional exploitation film and a little bit of a gem. So yeah, yeah. hopefully people will check it out. Hope so. All right, that is the big show this week. Uh, do we know for sure what we're doing next week, or we just kind of want to yeah. wait and announce it? Oh, oh. Go ahead. Go Why don't ahead. we say we're going to do our top 30? I don't know if you – are you going to do one of these this uh, year? Or? Probably not. You know me. I don't really keep good track of that. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. We're going to do – I'm probably going to 
going to uh, get the band back together. Uh, I do get a few friends on the show and do our top 30 first time watches, which is films from, you know, pretty much 2013 back. Yeah. It's like 1898. <laughs> uh, first time watches. It's late in the year, but you know, we're going to do that. And then the week after is the top 30 of 2015. Yes. I don't know why I'm talking in this voice. Yeah. We usually wait a little later than most folks. Uh, that's just to get more stuff in or as much as possible. I didn't get anything watched, like I said, this past week. Trying to get a few more things in uh, before the end of the uh, "quote unquote" our movie year, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I look forward to the top thirty first time watch show. That's actually one of my favorite shows we do because I'm not involved in it and I get to listen to it, and it's kind of fun to listen to you guys talk about that. And yeah. So I'll have a week off. It looks like that. That's uh, nice for me. I, I could vacay. I could use that. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I got the little one. All right. So that is it. That is the big show. We will see you next week and then in two weeks for the top 30. Uh, we, uh, again, thank everybody for listening to the show. And I will Check say, out Vinegar Syndrome. Yes, definitely check out Vinegar Syndrome and the releases. And I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.